The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. The reason that Paul was writing this particular letter to the Corinthians was definitely to encourage the church, but also because there was some tension in the relationship. Paul helped start this church. And when the church began, they were enamored with Paul. I mean, they loved him. They were so appreciative of him. They were smitten kittens. They thought he was the best teacher and preacher, and they loved having him as their leader. He was so choice, right? From 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and actually from other writings at the time, it's pretty apparent that the church moved past that honeymoon period, and, it, and for a few reasons, they weren't happy anymore with Paul and his leadership. Like most relationships, Paul's relationship with this church went through that um, relationship cycle that um, we had up there just a second ago. So this relationship cycle, right? This is where we often find ourselves in relationships. At first, they have this meeting Paul introduced them to Jesus, and that's a moment where they have infatuation, right? They think, oh, this guy's the greatest ever. He's so amazing. And that's the honeymoon period, right? He can't do anything wrong. And then something happens between the honeymoon period and what's next. And it's like, well, Paul was great, but he's kind of annoying. And this other guy, he seems great, right? So that increases some doubt and disappointment for them. And They think, you know, this isn't really what we signed up for, being in this church with Paul as a leader. And we can all relate to this cycle of relationships. We go through this in our life all the time. Friendships, right? We go through these friendships, romantic relationships. I mean, yeah, right? You go through meeting, infatuation, honeymoon period. Then you're like, who is this person? Why am I dating this person? And you guys have been in school for four weeks now, so I know you're at doubt and disappointment with the communities you're living in. You are up to here with the person who leaves their dishes in the sink. And this even happens, this even happens in church relationships, right? We come to this place, we're like, this place is awesome. I love these people. I'm so inspired when I'm here. These tacos are amazing. And then, you know, you go through this honeymoon period and then there's kind of doubt and disappointment. You're like, I don't really know if it's, it's, I'm being fed in the same way as I was before. That's a different sermon. We're not going to go down that road. But my point is that you reach this point, even in a church community, that there's tension. And that is what's happening between Paul and this church in Corinth. Um, and not only is he, a, is he defending himself, he's also offering them guidance on what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. So there's a lot going on in this letter. And the reason I bring this up is because the ways in which Paul goes about defending himself are really profound. I mean, it's, it's really amazing and awesome. I love the the, what he chooses to do when he's defending himself um, in these verses, it, it actually is a method of teaching in itself. And you're looking at me like, what are you talking about? So let's just look at the scripture. Um, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting at verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. 
For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Now, when Paul uses the we here, um, we have this treasure in jars of clay. He's talking about um, himself and the other people that are working in these churches. And normally when people are defending themselves against um, accusations, it's the response is like, I'm not wrong, you're wrong. Or if um, you're in this place of doubt and disappointment, if the attention is going to other people, you're like, wait, you used to pay attention to me. Why don't you like me anymore, right? That's what you can expect when um, what's going on in this relationship is happening to Paul. But Paul uses the images of containers, jars of clay, to flip that expectation. It was Paul's intention throughout the letter, and I think specifically in these verses, to defend himself by pointing away from himself back to Jesus. It's what John the Baptist did in the Gospels too. Everyone's like, oh, John, you're so great. He's like, no, 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 not me, Jesus. Paul moved the attention off of himself and his shortcomings and put Jesus at the center for whatever reason, the Corinthians don't like Paul. They're, um, they're, they're, they don't like the container of Paul or Paul's ministry. They probably don't like his appearance. Maybe they don't like the words he chooses, the way he presented himself. If I can read between the lines here, Paul is saying what's on the outside doesn't matter because what we're carrying, we never could have come up with on our own. We're giving witness to that which is not ourselves because it's God. He basically affirms their opinion of him in verse 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Yeah, all right, I'm an ugly pot. He says, we deliver the message to you in the most low and menial of kitchen vessels, right? It's something that you have a lot of because they're breakable and they're really cheap. Compared to this message, the treasure inside we're cheap, we're fragile, we can be cracked and chipped, we're jars of clay. If the message is vitally important, then the container that's holding it can't be. If the message is what you want people to notice, if what's inside the container is what you want people to notice, then the container can't be impressive. Paul says, you're not impressed with my external appearance, the way I speak, what I focus on, fine. He actually says earlier in chapter five, he says, we are not preaching ourselves. I'm not preaching myself to you because our faith is about Jesus. The treasure of the Holy Spirit at work inside of us, transforming us to withstand whatever life might throw our way. What these verses say, so that these vessels are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. They're struck down but not destroyed because they're held together by what's inside. Paul is saying, not me, 
Jesus. Now it's on the outside. What's on the inside? Not the messenger, the message. Paul probably used the, probably had a lot of reasons for why he used jars of clay um, as his metaphor. And one I would guess is probably because of how easily they would break. They can crack. When Paul met Jesus for the first time, he saw the scars in Jesus' hand and he saw the brokenness in Jesus' body. Oh. Is that on everyone's phone? Wow. All right. Yeah, okay. Anyways, you can all take a look at the Amber Alert and know what to be on the lookout for. Um, so, we're, so we're talking about these jars of clay. And I think Paul chose the metaphor of jars of clay because um, of how easily they break, how easily they might crack. When Paul met Jesus um, for the first time, he saw the scars in Jesus' hands, and he knew that whenever there's a resurrection, it's preceded by brokenness. It completely changed Paul's worldview. If there is going to be new life, there's going to be brokenness. If we want to see new life at work in our lives here and now, in your life, you have to know that that might include brokenness too. Now, I understand that kind of presents a question. Uh, okay, Janie, why would anyone sign up for this, right? To say you can be a simple, plain, cracked vessel where brokenness is involved. Oh, yeah, sign me up, put me down. Put me down for two. That sounds great. Because when we are able to hold the treasure when we are able to be the messengers, then we are transformed too. The container is changed. This always reminds me of something I learned about a few years ago. And I shared this last year at the end, so I apologize for the repeat, but I think it fits really well with this idea of um, clay pots that Paul's talking about. And it's the Japanese art of kintsugi, in Japanese, the word kintsugi means golden joinery, and it refers to the art of fixing broken ceramic pots with gold resin. When it's put between the cracks, like you can see from that top one, it's put between the cracks and then it's fired, and then the gold actually fixes the crack and looks like solid gold. And when you look at these pictures, you look at these ceramic pots, it's hard to see them as representations of brokenness and damage. Something that would normally have been thrown away is recognized as the perfect background for beautiful art that actually looks maybe even better than it did originally. Before it was broken, and now it's still just as useful for what it was made for. The scars from Jesus' death on the cross are like this. It's hard to see Jesus' scars as damage, right? 
When we allow the treasure of God and God's Holy Spirit to be contained within us, the Holy Spirit fills our cracks, our broken spaces and places and creates something new. When we are broken, when the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, it's not to destroy us, it's to repair us, it's to restore us. It's so that we can be more of who we were created to be in the first place. Some of you are living with cracks. Probably all of us are living with cracks that we are afraid of giving God access to because when we do, then we will know, we will know for sure that we're broken. That's actually a wonderful thing. We spend all of our times making our lives look like a perfect container. Perfect, beautiful, brilliant looking on the outside, right? That's why at 13, I spent so much time perfecting my bangs in the mirror I wanted to have a perfect container for everyone to see. And I think you will agree with me, it is exhausting making our container hold up to appearances, look successful to everyone around us, making sure that nobody can see any of the cracks that might be on the inside. And then maybe worst of all, I think worse than that is that we spend so much time obsessing about what everybody else thinks. What are they thinking of me right now? Do they like me? Do they hate me? Are they impressed by me? What are they thinking about me? A friend of mine had this gorgeous mug that she got on the west coast of Scotland. It was beautiful pottery. And that she brought it home, and un- unfortunately, um, she poured some hot tea in it, and slowly a puddle started to form at the base of the mug. There was a crack in it. Until the mug was put to the purpose for which it was designed, no one could see the crack. Taylor said this earlier, we are designed to hold the glory of God. That is how we were made. We are, the, we are designed for the same God to be within us that was in Jesus. In verses 14 and 15, Paul says, We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus. Once we are put to our purpose, proper use, what we were made for, once we allow the Holy Spirit to be in every area of our lives, the cracks are going to show up. And they're probably going to be ugly. Hatred, pride, selfishness, fear. They're going to be exposed. Anything that shows that we are not naturally right, it's going to be obvious. And when all the cracks and frailties show up in our lives and we make them apparent, it is very scary because at that moment we are convinced we are going to completely fall apart and there's no way we can be put back together. But the truth is, if we allow the Holy Spirit to expose the cracks and then to actually eventually break us of our own efforts, our own sins, We will be repaired and made new in a beauty and a wonder we would have never imagined before we were broken. My friend said she kept using the mug, even though it was cracked, until it broke. And then she threw it away because she didn't know how to fix it. But Paul promises God does not destroy us. God does not expose cracks to throw you away. 
It's to restore you and to fill you in ways that you can't even imagine. How amazing would it be to go through life and present ourselves to the world like Paul? Love me or hate me, it doesn't matter. Paul says, what I want you to do is to actually look past me. Look past my flawed, uninteresting container to what's inside me, the beautiful treasure that actually you can have too. It's when you name your brokenness, when the cracks are exposed, that people can actually see Jesus shine through you. And what they think about the rest of the container doesn't even matter. It's in the places where we've been broken and repaired and we have a gorgeous scar that people can actually see Jesus shining through. And we don't even think about what the rest of the container looks like. The most difficult part of all of this is that it's a process. Making a clay pot is a process. Repairing one takes time too. We are always in a work of we are always in a, in a work of progress, right? And involved in that is going to be brokenness, filling the cracks, fired by the Holy Spirit, and having another beautiful scar of God's transforming work. And another example of the way in which we are becoming more who God actually created us to be. Ours is a journey of patience. It is a long obedience in the same direction. Paul wants the Corinthians to know, hang in there. When I was uh, middle school, I also had braces, and I was would go to the orthodontist, right? And I would lay there for like an hour, and you just like rank on my teeth. I had this thing called a herbs appliance. It was really pretty. Um, anyways, and I would lay on the orthodontist chair, and I would look up at the ceiling, and he had this poster of a cat. It said, hang in there. Have you guys seen that poster? That's the poster I would look at. It's a classic 80s poster, and that poster gave me hope, right? that there would be an end to the time that I was sitting in my orthodontist chair. Paul says it much more eloquently to the church in Corinth um, in the last two, last two verses of this chapter. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Hang in there. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Biblical scholar and theologian N.T. Wright has called this one of the most astonishing statements of Christian hope ever written. These verses are actually where we got this phrase, hope of glory, that um, some of our students and staff put together. At this point in the letter to the Corinthians, Paul basically has said over and over again the reasons in which why he should have lost heart, but why he doesn't is hope of glory. I know many of you have probably moved to Seattle from other places, and one of the things that I love about Seattle is that we're really far north. We're actually the, 
in the continental U.S., the major city that's furthest north, for, further north than Minneapolis and Boston, actually further north than a lot of Canadian cities, Toronto and Montreal, even kind of crazy, I know. Studied cartography in college. You guys are like, I don't really care. Anyways, um, <laughs> but I find this fascinating because the further north you are, the more the, the drastic changes in light from the winter solstice to the summer solstice, right? If you, spent, if you have spent time um, north, then you know that there's big differences. So as we are reaching the winter solstice, we are losing daylight every day. It's about two minutes a day, two minutes and eight seconds. And as you move from the winter solstice to um, the summer solstice in June, we are gaining about two minutes a day, two minutes and eight seconds, right? So the shortest day of the year, December 22nd, longest day of the year, June 22nd, you reach that day and the sun's setting at 10 o'clock and you're like, whoa, look how much light there is. But you probably never, in the time from December 22nd to June 22nd, stop to see like, okay, that, there was, that was our two minutes. But when you see it all at once, you see, wow, look at that transformation. I think that is how we need to understand God's transformation in our lives. If we try to look at it every day, we're like, yeah, nothing. There's nothing changing in me. I can't see anything. There's no way God's transforming me. But if we take it over time, if we stop and look back at the transformation of who we are now versus who we are then, then we can definitely see the faithfulness of God at work in us, transforming us every day. Paul says in this chapter, we are being renewed day by day. It is happening in your life. And maybe as we're marching towards the winter solstice, the loss of light will be the opportunity to recognize that you can hold on to hope for the light of the future glory to come. Just like Paul 2,000 years ago, we are a part of God's work of reconciling the world unto himself, holding on to hope for eternal glory, fixing our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, because it's that that gives us hope that the future would be full of light and new life and the glory of God. God, we thank you that we can hold on to hope, not for what is seen, but for what is unseen. We thank you that in the places of brokenness, in the cracks of our lives, that you fill the spaces that you fire us with forgiveness and that you make us into something even more beautiful than we were before we started. God, it's our desire to be more and more who you created us to be, that your transformation would be real, that we would be renewed day by day and the hope of your glory will be what we see. Amen.